WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the Comics XF interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the creator of the Oni Press miniseries Dwellings, Jay Stevens. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. Boo, everybody. It, it you know, looks I, cute, but it's spooky. In, in case it, it, it is, and, and <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about this. Uh, it, it, it's 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 only late August. We're not quite in the spooky season yet, but spirit Halloweens are open, and I had my first pumpkin beer, so we're we're getting into it, guys. What's it? Perfect. I think <laughs> I got the email in my inbox today. You know, Dunkin' Donuts going pumpkin spices back, and I'm like, wait, it's not even halfway through August. No, <laughs> it feels a little too soon. <laughs> Don't rush my summer. I mean, believe me, I love spooky season, but, you know, it does feel a little too soon. Comes earlier every year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Jay, what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Well, that's a great question uh, that I get a lot. And I guess I've realized over time that it kind of depends on what your definition of comics is, of course. Because for a lot of people... Uh, that I know and love when they ask me what my favorite comics are, they're really talking about um, mainstream um, superhero comics or more generally comic books. And so there are those, but you know, I, I was reading newspaper comics long before that. So, I mean, if that counts, I think it I does. was in love. I think I was in love with peanuts first, you know um, I, I did um, in case you ask, I know people at home can't see this, but this thing, this uh, I have a Walt Disney Christmas parade that I've had since I was six. And oh, it's a nice, wow. thick little uh, collection of just newsprint Disney comics of the era that I got for Christmas. Uh, speaking of holidays coming early um, when I was six years old. And that's that's probably one of the comics I remember reading and rereading and rereading first. Uh, but it wasn't long after that before. Um, I started going to the corner store and checking out spinner racks and spending my allowances on um, probably first Marvel comics, actually, and and Harvey comics, too. I still like the cute stuff, but I was really into the Marvel horror heroes era. So lots of Marvel two in ones, um, Ghost Rider, Son of Satan, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Excellent. Well, uh, you are here to talk about Dwellings, which is your uh, three-issue mega-sized Oni Press series. Issue number one is in stores now. Uh, Matt, if you would. Welcome to Elwich, an oasis of American perfection, where the schools overflow with cheery-eyed children, lovingly adorned homes line the historic boulevards, and only the crows can see the deep, festering rot that lurks beneath the pristine surface. Murder, demonology, possession, obsession. Elwich has them all on offer, and behind every dwelling awaits a horrifying new story to be told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when the horror comics come around, Matt always, that, that's, that's when he shines. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Trying to read the, the kids' comics with that doesn't work as well. I wish I wish horror host was still a job description that I could apply for. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, I wish I could be the inner sanctum guy. Oh, for sure. Oh, wow. 
Um, well, thank you for that. Uh, that intro. Yeah. It's, um, we're yeah. In shops now, if you can find it, we, we, uh, got completely, um, taken aback by the, uh, demand for the book. We, uh, mm. had to, we had to end up short shipping the first and, and second printing and are onto our third printing. So I guess people, I thought this idea of combining cute looking vintage cartooning with adult horror stories was a strange enough idea that it would be kind of niche. I mean, I liked it. So I thought maybe somebody else might like this, but uh, it turns out a lot of people liked us. Yeah. I will say my shop got shorted and over the weekend I stopped into Midtown Comics in New York. You know, they were sold out. Wow. So you got uh, sold out Midtown. I am so sorry for our unexpected success. I, I really <laughs> did want everyone that wanted one to get one. Uh, but don't worry, there are more on the way. We are we're getting them back out. They will get me. My shop is very good about getting me what I need eventually. I have no concern. But I was like, wow, Midtown. I was I was thinking, sure, I'll go and stop at Midtown on my way back from the convention I was covering, pick up a copy, read it on the train home. Nope. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah this is a this is a new one for me um i'm not sure why the timing seems right for dwellings now as opposed to uh my past works which have done fine i've had i've had a a, a healthy career in comic books over the years but uh dwelling seems to be hitting a nerve well, congratulations on that and 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 certainly you know exhausting your print runs is is a good good problem to have uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so what is the origin of this project? So this came about, um, it's a, it's a, um, officially a COVID project, a pandemic project. So I had been doing some, um, ongoing weekly kids comics for a local, a, a Canadian magazine called owl magazine, uh, long running magazine. And with the, I don't know, with the, just the, the changing uncertain marketplace and the idea that people weren't able to get magazines. I think Owl's main subscription, uh, now, or their, their main revenue is from subscription-based uh, and sales to libraries and schools, which were closed for you know a couple of years on and mm -hmm. off. Um, so I was looking for something new to do. And an old publishing friend of mine, Michelle Vrana, uh, who was starting up a a little experimental small press called black eye books, a kind of return to publishing for him after a long career as a book designer. He asked me if I had any new ideas. And so dwellings came from, first of all, a passion for both um, horror. I'm a huge horror film and horror, horror literature fan. Um, and of course, vintage kids comics. I'm, I'm, you know, I love that stuff. And certainly past projects of mine have have uh, been examples of that. I mean, my Jack Cat, um, uh, Jack Cat Clubhouse and Land of Nod comics are definitely in the same visual um, vein. But I had, uh, I had been posting on Instagram just for fun, because what else was I going to do stuck at home? Um, <laughs> these uh, tributes to, to children from famous horror films. Famous horror children like um, 
what was the first one? I think the very first one was, uh, I called it Little Santi, and it's the ghost from uh, Del Toro's um, Devil's Backbone. And he struck rewatching that film, it struck me how he's terrifying, but how cute this ghost is. He's trying to communicate something important. And he kind of had this, it struck me that he had a bit of a Casper vibe. So I, I reinterpreted that ghost as an old Harvey cover and posted it online and people went nuts. And so that probably was the feedback uh, from that, the idea that this could, um, that the content could be married like that. Uh, that was the first step. And then imagining what that would be like as a full story. I have done, I have um, fooled around a little bit in, in um, film. There's a, there was a um, film production company here in Guelph, Ontario called Black Fawn Films. They're, I think they're based in Toronto now, but, um, and I worked in the art department for them on a, on a few projects, just uh, helping out with set design and stuff. And, and, uh, had the idea because they were looking for for new scripts, you know, great uh, low budget horror scripts, and so I had some ideas. I had some horror ideas that I, uh, in my head, had compartmentalized into you know live action adult horror, and uh, I actually repurposed those ideas. Um, I took those concepts for films and went, wait a minute, these could these could be the cute comics. <laughs> so uh i know this this started off with with crowdfunding how did it make its way to uh oni now for for physical release yeah so um it's been a very um organic process actually it, it at first when um hunter gorenson the publisher of oni approached me about this idea it seemed kind of awkward i thought i thought well i don't know how that would work i mean we are we have already done this um kind of kind of small and humble grassroots and we're doing we're doing fairly well success you know successfully on a on a small scale um but hunter uh he had actually backed the the crowdfunder uh campaign and had picked up an issue and he saw potential for it um for a wider audience so it's pretty great he allowed us you know, he, he really wanted to get it out there and allowed Black Eye and I to finish what we were doing as our single issue kind of retro replica floppies. Mm -hmm. And Oni and I kind of reinvented the way we would uh, reintroduce this as kind of like old Harvey Comics, giant sized, 80 page giant sized comics. Uh, and so they're distinct, they're different. And certainly, um, you know, it's a whole new world of, of distribution and availability for me. So I think it's fantastic. And it, yeah, so far everything's uh, worked out pretty well. Uh, and, and this wasn't your first rodeo with Oni. You'd worked with them, before, you know, in the earlier days, correct? That's right. As a matter of fact, um, so I started out um, in sort of the small press comic scene in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, had had done work for Dark Horse, quite a few quite a few projects for Dark Horse, Kitchen Sink, and then the last publisher I worked for a couple of decades ago was was Oni, 
And I mean, so it's, 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 uh, it's actually another reunion. So with black eye, this new, this new version of black eye, this was kind of a, um, nostalgic going home again for, for Michelle Rana and I to, mm. to, to be doing what we started out doing in underground comics when we were younger. And then of all, of all publishers to reach out, it was Oni. And I, I, I just love it. It, it. The whole thing has felt like a, a reunion. Were there, were there in terms of, of, you know, printing these, you know, we talked about sort of the 80 page giant style, you know, were there other formats uh, that you had discussed, like, you know, maybe doing one story per issue or, or, you know, full blown thick graphic novel or something like that? We did, we did, um, we did brainstorm. Uh, I think originally it was just going to be reprinted as, as the six issue series that black guy and I were doing. Um, but as soon as we landed on this three jumbo sized issues instead, it seemed, and you know, through the, as we were just uh, saying at the top of the show here through the, through the spooky season um, from now until the, the end of the year, it just seemed to make so much sense. And um, ex ex except we were nervous about, um, you know, a, a big book is a bigger price point. We're just like, is this going to work? Um, but it, you do get a lot of story. And I think the two, the two in one, two stories at a time really um, sells the concept of Elwich as a place that's, that, that these are independent stories, you know, uh, one and done stories but that they're all connected by the sense of place in these overlapping characters. So when you get two, you get that right away. Whereas um, the way we'd done it with black eye, it took some time to, uh, to grasp what I was trying to do. So, so as we mentioned, you know, you're, you're telling horror stories, but you're, you're drawing them in this, this, you know, cherubic sort of Harvey comic style. Um, kind of, thinking thinking about that when did you first realize hey you know at some point casper had to have been a little boy who died tragically like he had family and stuff and now he's just wandering the afterlife trying to find friends by haunting the living that's kind of actually that, that's fucked up yeah it, it really is and yeah. i mean i see you thought of it right how old were you? I, I think i think we all did i think i think every kid that read those the spookier um Harvey comics. I mean Richie Rich is scary in a different way. I mean <laughs> that that kid that kid could have cured cancer. Um but uh but I think nobody what, ever I, asks why doesn't Richie Rich just give his money away? They're all going after Batman. <laughs> exactly. No, I I think Richie Rich has a lot more money than Bruce. I mean it looks that way to me. Um so <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I I think when I was around seven years old i probably started thinking when am i going to find that issue of casper the friendly ghost where i find out who murdered him <laughs> you know I, I i'm all of us talked about it i think they i think they tried to address it in that terrible cgi movie years ago i think they actually did hit that uh subject head on but i mean as a kid yeah and and then not to mention here i am reading hot stuff the the little devil um while my, you know, while my parents and grandparents are watching The Exorcist in the other room, you know, that something in my kid brain was going, okay, something's wrong in this book I'm reading. It doesn't seem wrong, but something, there's something 
evil in this you know <laughs> it's it's uh it's the gateway drug of uh, satanism <laughs> right which is probably why that tattoo is so popular the hot stuff tattoo is popular because it's like it's the cute version of a pentagram mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know mom mom won't know that i'm a satanist <laughs> I, I would like to point, point call back something you just said, though. Your parents and grandparents were watching The Exorcist together in the next room? Oh, yeah. My grandparents were real freaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were great. Uh, yeah. So my grandmother, uh, my grandparents, uh, in fact, I'm a first generation Canadian. Um, my mom came over from England when, when she was a teenager. So um, my grandparents are from England. And my grandmother... She, she used to have Ouija board parties and do tarot readings for friends. And uh, uh, told me with a completely straight face when I was a little kid that ghosts were real. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think the official family religion was occult. I don't, not, that, <laughs> not that it was ever discussed, but, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, my, my sort of, um, vaporous exposure to horror was 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 there the whole time yeah they they were they were big my mom's still a big horror fan we still go see uh new films together nice nice and then the other thing i'm sorry i'm going back to casper here but like shouldn't there be more of him right like if, if this reality presupposes that ghosts exist there should be caspers everywhere just, not just him and those three assholes again from the, the yeah CGI no no movie. no 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 apparently the message is that there's only one friendly ghost and the rest of them are assholes and uh we should be scared of ghosts i mean it that's kind of the message right that that uh when you're a kid see there's a lot of harvey seems really innocent but there's some scary concepts codified in that so he's the only friendly ghost he stands out he's the weirdo huh. so that means Ghosts are fucking terrifying. Stay away from them. They're mean. That, that's, that kind of a, that's kind of a weird thing to be selling to kids. <laughs> it is. And then you get into a discussion of ghost respectability politics that I'm not quick to have <laughs> as a non-ghost American. And Wendy, Wendy's the same. She's the good little witch. Um, and I mean, I don't want to get into uh, how she's blonde and pink skinned and uh, the other witchers are green skinned with black hair. I mean, there's, there's maybe some weird subcontext to that too, but she's, she's the only good little witch. All other witches are evil. It's, it's, um, it's some weird stuff. And I, I mean, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The existence of ghosts always in that, that presupposition of an afterlife always in my, brings me back to that, the, the discourse between Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick, where Kubrick was saying to King while making The Shining that, you know, this is an inherently hopeful film because it means there's ghosts. It means there's an afterlife. And King's like, right. well, yeah, but what about hell? And Kubrick's like, oh, I just don't believe in hell. Right. And it's just like, yeah, I guess. Just just purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just... I mean, that's, I, I mean, oh, gee. Yeah, I don't know. I love, I do love, I have a lot of books on, I have a lot of uh, ghost stories, both fictional and, uh, and told as true. Um, I love them. There are some really great authenticated ghost stories that had numerous witnesses or that continue to be unsolved and uncanny. So uh, 
it's kind of hard to argue anecdotally that these that the phenomena of ghosts doesn't exist quote unquote um these people seem to be experiencing something real i don't pretend to know what that is and i, I i'm i'm okay with the mystery <laughs> but these people are getting freaked out by something hopefully not the ghostly trio that uh mercilessly <laughs> teases casper because they're assholes yeah correct <laughs> absolutely um so i mean the harvey comics are an aesthetic inspiration yeah but there's specifically warren kramer who was the 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 main designer of the revised casper did those books for years and howie post uh who did the uh spooky and um uh hot stuff i i, I love their ink line yeah i just a shout out to to two great cartoons but horror wise i mean there's some inspirations there i mean the the end of they know has a real EC and Twilight Zoney kind of vibe. You've got you know, some of the more social commentary stuff, the anthologies and comics. What horror influences are you really playing up? That's a great question. Um, I mean, there's a lot going into them, although I would say that each of the six stories is taking inspiration from somewhere a little different. I didn't want to do the same, the exact same thing over and over. So they're a little bit different. Um, the one thing, like you were saying about the ending and, you know, uh, this will be spoiler free, just generally talking about the endings there. Most of them have a little bit of a, a twist or a little bit of a surprise at the end. That is not necessarily because um I'm a huge fan of EC, which I am, um, or a fan of, say, something like um, M. Night Shyamalan, who who is known for those twist endings, which I am. But um, it's because the nature of horror is that it it only works if it's surprising. You know, sh the shock is required, and so twists are 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 kind of. You know, jump scares work too. But basically, you know, if you're if you're trying to tell a, a scary story, um, you know, the ending has to has to be surprising a little. So they have that in common. But the first one is, yeah, it's it's more of a psychological horror. I do love um, horror cinema, where at the end of it, you you're unsure if what you've seen is somebody going nuts or uh, is somebody being haunted. Um, and which, I mean, of course it could be the same thing at, at, at once. So I love that stuff. Like, um, Babadook is a great example of that, a, a very successful film that really could, I mean, depending on your point of view, could be either of those things. Um, hmm. and so I wanted this, this, uh, this character to break down, um, psychologically, but to, to, to have it feel like maybe something else was happening, but it is, it is more clearly, uh, it, it is possibly uh, not the least bit supernatural, the first story. Maybe it's not supernatural at all. Whereas the second story, um, there's definitely some weird demonology stuff going on in there. That's a that's a satanic panic come come true kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm just riffing on kind of the genre films that I like. I mean, specifically. Um, I'm specifically more of a fan of 70s um, 
psychological supernatural horror. I, I just, I like all horror, but that's stuff I gravitate to. And there's kind of a resurgence in that tone these days. Like the uh, A24 stuff is, mm. is doing that again, really well. There's a Renaissance um, also with the witch, the lighthouse, uh, you know, this stuff is um, um, kind of back in the public eye, in the, in the, in the pop culture brain. And so that's kind of where I'm going with, but it, you know, it's candy colored. I, I didn't know if that was going to work. What was the last really great horror movie you saw? I'm curious because I'm a I'm a big big horror movie guy. I might even take in a late horror movie tonight because I love going to the the late showings on horror movies. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last great one. I uh, I really liked Megan uh, as a kind of. Um, Return of the both it, it's it's a great entry in both the haunted doll and the killer robot uh, genres. Uh, I thought it was very well done. Um, <laughs> it's not a horror, but I really loved Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Just, <laughs> as as schlock, I was like, oh my god, it's a great B movie. I'm so, this is so great. Um, but I'm trying to think the last one that like creeped me out, um, which is getting harder and harder to do, to be honest. Oh, I liked um, uh, uh, "Knock on the Cabin," the the new Shyamalan. Mm. That was pretty good, and and um, he hasn't been thrilling me lately. There's he for me personally, his last few films have been like I don't know. I kind of saw that coming, but that one was really weird in a in a good way. It really uh, skeeved me out. <laughs> have you seen but, "Talk to Me"? Oh, sorry. Oh no, I haven't seen Taught to Me yet. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, uh the new um Evil Dead Rise was pretty good. Yeah. You know, I saw Talk to Me last week at a I think 10:30 showing, so it got out about a quarter after 12 and it I'm I'm also fairly jaded at this point, but I walked out like kind of oh, looking good. as I walked across that parking lot with the like four other people that were there for a 10:30 showing. Oh, that's like, great. I love that. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, I can't wait. Um, that, that has that same A24, you know, there's stuff and it's clearly supernatural. There's also the elements that are like, how much of this is the supernatural stuff and how much of this is in her head? Yeah. That, that yeah. Changeling is one of the, the, the best examples from the 70s of that I, stuff. I love that film. I uh, saw that film far too young. Uh, my brother and I used to scare the shit out of each other for years just by bouncing a wet ball down the stairs. <laughs> yes. Um, I just remembered there's a there's a um, uh, foreign film called The Innocence, uh, not a remake of of The Turn of the Screw, um, that came out last year. That's about kids who are spending the summer in this sort of apartment complex who have supernatural powers. It's like if you had um, four carries or, or fire starters in the same building and they kind of were, and then they were being just shitty kids, you know how ki kids are to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that one's really creepy and, and has some very new ideas. I thought that was great. That one's going on the watch list.
So, Matt, I'm going to turn the tables on you. What What was your last great horror movie? Well, aside from Talk to Me, which yeah. I I so I loved, um, this one is not a great. This is a, a similar the the cocaine berry sort of. This is not a great movie, but this is a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a movie that came out called Werewolves Within. It's this you know very sort of typical. You know, small town up in the woods, the the snow falls, the people are all trapped together. One of them's a werewolf. But it's got it's got that evil deady sort of, you know, sense of humor. It, it's horror comedy. Uh, but Sam Richardson and Milana Weintraub are the leads. And there is a absolutely delicious small role for harvey guillaume of what we do in the shadows oh wow okay it's apparently based loosely on a video game or any sort of those you know werewolf social deduction games yeah i was gonna say it sounds like the werewolf card game yeah 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 this is basically werewolf the card game the movie oh that's great (laughs) yeah but it's just you're you're playing you know you've got sam richardson as the new forest ranger Milana Vaintraub as the male woman, uh, Harvey Guillaume as one of a couple of, you know, city guys who moved up because they wanted to live in the, the woods after they made all their money. There's the local guy who's trying to develop the, the woods for uh, gas rights. There's the other locals and they're all trapped in the inn as Great. the snow is coming down. It's, it's just I like a good horror comedy and it's it's fun. Yeah. And it sounds like uh sort of um stereotypical characters like it's a game of clue or something. Like yes. it's uh a whodunit. I like that. Um speaking of um sort of campier fun, uh I know it came and went really fast in the theaters. And when my friend Tony and I went to see it, we were the only, really the only two people in the whole theater. But Renfield's better than people uh, uh, make it out to be. Uh, it was it was it was hilarious. And I mean, you really have to see Nick Cage's Dracula. I mean, what what? Why aren't you going to see this movie anyway? It's too late now, but it'll be out soon on streaming. And and uh, it is if you liked Cocaine Bear, you're gonna you're gonna like Renfield. Yeah, I. I think there may be more than just me and more than two people, but there were not a lot of people on opening weekend when I went to see Renfield, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I mean, honestly, the, (laughs) also it's an action film and a romantic comedy and a, I don't even know what Renfield is, except it's a (laughs) lot of fun, but there is that, that, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a fight scene in that. Uh, I guess it's a hotel or a motel uh, uh, stairwell that is. I don't know. Is it the grossest thing I've ever? It's just so um, rip your spine out, you know, over and over. It's 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 hilariously gory. People are missing out. Oh yeah, and. Uh... Ben Schwartz finds a way to actually match energy with Nicolas Cage, which is not easy to do. Uh, I have to go back and finish Renfield. Actually, we, my wife and I, it's on, it's on Peacock now, so it is streaming. Okay, good. 
we we started it. The problem is we're like starting it too late. It was, it was like ten thirty, and we're just like after a half hour, even though like I'm enjoying it. So I I, I have to I have to go back and and make time to finish that at some point. Well, you know, it, it was probably you probably fell asleep during one of Renfield's uh, therapy sessions, which is, that's that's also in there. Yes. <laughs> one thing I wanted to mention with. Uh, they know, which I'm not going to spoil the ending, but like that, that, that panel, that page turn panel reveal. I, I want to see that as cosplay at a convention. I, I want that for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That, that, uh, that would be cool or terrifying. I mean, that's it. See, that's, I don't know when someone cosplays as a, as a superhero character or a cute character you've created, that's one thing, but if they're, if they're walking to a convention with a couple of knives in their hands and you know, I, you know, I don't know. It's if they use the scissors, that's the true test. That's the thing. It has to, that's right. Uh, by the way, there is a, I don't think I'll ever sh show anybody, but I had that idea. Um, and I thought, well, would that even work? And I actually, I actually made one. Like I oh. did have a mask and I did see if you could, Put the scissor blades sort the read the comic and you'll get what I'm talking about, you guys. But mm -hmm. uh I did put it on and it wasn't too heavy. And I was like, oh yeah, that looks really creepy. <laughs> so uh the, you know, the, this comic in the you know, the second story deals with something called foreign accent syndrome, which was totally a thing that I did not know was a thing. And they know you get really in deep into the behavior and psychology of crows. How much, how much research was involved in, in crafting some of these stories for you? Uh, uh, surprisingly, there was some research because it, you know, I am, it really sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I mean, I really don't, but um, I like to over research and, and um, under present these things. Right. So I love that stuff. Uh, researching ideas, chasing down weird ideas is one of my favorite things to do. So, um, you know, I have a subscription to 40 and times magazine, which is like all strange news from around the world, weird ideas and, um, great stuff. And I, you know, I read, I read books full of information like that. And every so often just this factoid pops up and instead of like a normal person who goes, well, that's interesting. Um, I go, I can use that. <laughs> and it, and it, it sparks this idea. And so, yeah, the, the, I read that crows will um, pair with wolf packs, uh, that there it's a symbiotic relationship and they will, uh, a murder of crows will pair with a, a pack of wolves and they help each other out. So the, the, the crows will fly high and, and, and spot possible food sources and the wolves will share their food with them. And so this idea that they would um, find a decent killer and then stay with them <laughs> seemed like a great idea for a horror story. And yeah, for an accent syndrome, um, I do apologize to anyone that's that, has has suffered from this or that that knows someone who has i mean it is i mean i i hope i'm not making light of it in the story and um in that it is a real syndrome um usually it's very very rare um 
which is which is how this story kicks off as you have somebody studying this who is flying into the town of Elwich because there's a there's a rare case that she would like to investigate and you know it is it as far the best research shows that it seems to be related to some kind of head injury some kind of brain trauma that um really just um in in the majority of cases presents as a as a an accent it changes how your brain forms your words to the point where it sounds like you have a Russian accent or a French accent or a Spanish accent. Um, there are rare cases where it, it really does seem like they know some words in that language or they think they're, it, it, it gets complicated, but it does seem to be a very explicable condition. Uh, of course, I decided that, yeah, but what if it seemed like it was for an accent syndrome, but it actually was somebody possessed by somebody else. So I just took it to the next level. One of our other recent guests, uh, Nick Cagnetti, used spoofs of classic comics ads as part of the story in his book, Pink Lemonade, although those were largely focused on on like 90s comic ads, while yours, you know, clearly the influences go back farther. Yeah, I think I'm older than Nick. (laughs) (laughs) What what is it about capturing the spirit of those ads that that adds to the reading experience for you? So, I I mean... We could have so when when so the first issue of Dwellings when when Michelle and I at Black Eye decided to do this we really we th- we thought we might just do one, which is also why the stories are self-contained, and um, so it's really a um, invention being the mother of necessity kind of thing, and that we decided to do this one uh, comic, but that looked like you'd been at a flea market and you'd found an old Casper comic, but it was like nothing you expected. And so of course, if you're going to make it look like an old flea market comic, it needs to have the ads. And then if it's going to have the ads in it, uh, why not build them into the story, have them reflect the story uh, because, you know, I don't actually have to sell ad space. And so that's how that started. But then as the project continued and, and started to build grassroots success and we, we, I continued to do that. So it's kind of, it was kind of an accident, but, I've always loved those. And honestly, growing up buying secondhand comics when I was a kid and um, from garage sales, flea markets and antique shops and old bookstores, you know, they all had advertising. Maybe not, maybe not Gold Key. I feel like there was one publisher that didn't have any advertising. I think it was Gold Key. Um, But generally speaking, that came with the comic reading experience. And I mean, you know, my brother and I would 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 circle the stuff we wanted to order. We never never really did, and we ended up getting sea monkeys, I think, at some point. Um, and you know, you'd look at these like hippie patches, and you'd be like, "Oh, I like that one. I like that Felix the Cat one." And um, to me, the ads are part of the experience. And oftentimes, especially for Harvey comics, but sometimes too, like I know that DC kind of broke their their superhero stories for a while into kind of chapters to make room for ad sales instead of having a, and so as, as far as I knew growing up, the ads were part of the experience, just like commercial commercial breaks were part of the uh, TV watching experience. So for me, it it feels right. Um, And I know it's, I know it's self-indulgent, but uh, I get a lot of, I get a lot of positive feedback on the ads. 
think the only thing I ever sent away for out of a comic book, it was, uh, it was, it was like the old, like Larry Hama GI Joe, uh, comics from the eighties. And I think they had one of those like mail-in offers. Like you send in a couple of proofs of purchase and you get the GI Joe action figure of William, the refrigerator Perry. Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I sent in my, uh, uh, little proof of purchases to get a, to get the Boba Fett figure back in the day too. I actually did that. I don't know how many people are, are old enough to have actually done that, but, uh, Actually, I think my brother and I had to pool our resources to get it, and then we didn't know who owned it, and that became a battle for years. <laughs> he's a, he's the younger brother, so I think I won. <laughs> now, did you have the the Darth Vader head carrying case for uh, the? I did. Nice. I did, but but my cousin Philip had the Death Star, and uh, he wins. And he wins. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we also my brother and I also had, got the Millennium Falcon, uh, so we did have the Millennium Falcon, and I had the Darth Vader uh, carrying case. I think I had the Droid Factory, which is a weird one. That was a cool one. Kind of had Legoy bits. You could kind of like build droids. Yeah, it was fun. Yes, I, I also like Star Wars. <laughs> we contain multitudes, you know. <laughs> Uh, but you know, just just think about the ads. You know, it's it's definitely something that's lost in modern comics. Like at some point, all the ads just turned into house ads for publishers. You know, like the the last decent in comic ad campaign that I can think about were like the Snickers ads that they worked into DC Comics uh, with those characters. But even you know, but even they were like. Yeah you know, kind of a paler substitute for like the old hostess fruit pie ads, for example. Yeah. The, the, I was going to say it was kind of, kind of that idea where you're like, yeah, can we hire your um, bullpen of artists to, to promote our product? Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I miss them. It's just, it's just part of its era. Um, it's nostalgic. And I mean, dwellings is a very nostalgic project. It, it's, it's all about that idea. Um, you know, I did want to push that because I think most of us that are fans of pop culture, of of um, comics, film, video games, comic strips, uh, Star Wars, whatever, horror, um, it's a backwards looking pursuit, you know, I mean, and it's sweet, it's wistful, but it's it's probably a little bit unhealthy if I'm being self-critical and, and I'm not judging anybody else out there. I'm just saying uh, it, it did occur to me that maybe always looking backwards uh, that idea, I mean, the, the, the original translation of nostalgia, what, what the, the original source words, I think it means, I think from Latin or Greek, it says it's to return home in pain. I think they did a bit on that in Mad Men and they did the carousel. Um, and you know, it's that you can't go home again. So you're, you're kind of chasing that sugar high that you can never really get again. You really loved that first time you saw Star Wars in the theater and you will never love another Star Wars thing again the same way. It, it just, just can't happen. And so that concept is built into Dwellings as well, that it that this is part of the reason, uh, uh, the justification for it looking like it does is that it is also me revisiting um, that feeling I described earlier of, I'm reading a cute comic about a devil, you know, in, in the living room while one room away, I can hear 
you know, the exorcist on and me getting up to go check it out. And my grandparents say, no, no, you, this is, this is a grown up movie. You can't see this. There's something uncomfortable uh, about that situation um, that I still remember and that I, I, I wanted to try to bottle, you know? You know, it's funny. It's talking, talking about comics and, and, and Star Wars and fandom being very backward looking. We just read a, a whole book for the show called The He-Man Effect, which was basically how all the toy companies in the 80s got everything so deregulated that they could brainwash us into, you know, 40 years later having conversation about sending away for, you know, Willie and the Refrigerator Perry G.I. Joe's. Oh, yeah. 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 Content like content that is a commercial, you know, like it's yeah, it's wild. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, in a way, Star Wars was like that, too, but not not intentionally, not originally. But as soon as it took off, I mean, that was that was the money you wanted. Uh, I mean, Lucas did hold on to those toy licensing rights. He did. He did. Smart man. (laughs) So the the individual stories are are self-contained with the through line being that they all take place in the same town. Um, But there are a couple of of recurring bits like like detective, the detective Royster character pops up in a few places. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's back. Um, I'm just wrapping up uh, the final issue, issue six, and and uh, she's in that as well. Now, however, that doesn't mean I'm promising she survives because these are also not in sequence. Just just so you know, the stories are not necessarily sequential. But anyway, she is in this. She is in the six issue. So yeah, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> well, the flip side of that is a character you might see. Um, horribly slaughtered in an earlier issue might return later for a previous adventure that can happen too. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Uh, So publishing through Oni, now you've got, you know, variant covers and stuff to deal with. It's the nature of the, of the direct market beast. How did you enjoy seeing other artists interpreting your work for variant covers? Oh, it's been fantastic. Uh, it's it's so cool. It's so cool to so this this town, Elwich, this imaginary sort of southern Ontario town. I mean, v- southern Ontario here is very much like northern Maine. Uh, you know, um, uh, the so the just all recent- the Stephen King stories are set there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, exactly. So the most recent adaptation of it was actually filmed about twenty minutes away from me. Uh, so you know this this area really is the stand-in for for that um small town vibe and uh so oh not now i lost track i got uh i got all stephen kinged um <laughs> you were asking about the variant covers sorry yeah mm-hmm. so um creating this little town and populating it with these little characters with backstories you know it's just all in my own head and then to see it um reinterpreted for the first time for literally the first time um by by another artist is is so cool it's it's so neat to see somebody's take on it and for us with the the artists um for all all through the oni issues it was just a, again a brainstorming session with oni where i had you know i had some wishlist stuff and they had some ideas and uh 
basically we just said yes to everything and then we reached out to everybody and we got really really lucky we got some really cool reinterpretations and yeah i don't mind the variance i mean <laughs> you're right though this is this is not uh last time i was at oni this was we didn't do variant covers this is a this is a more recent uh uh thing but i don't mind at all i think they're really cool luckily i got uh i got uh my box of comps and I have, I have one of each. So I'm pretty thrilled. Very nice. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't say it to, to, to knock it either. I think, especially with like uh, a book like yours, you know, where, you know, it's not, it's different from Marvel, right? Like, cause this is, this is your thing. Oh, it's your sure. baby. And now mm -hmm. you get to actually see other people, take a crack at it and what it looks like. And, and, you know, that's, that's neat. It is. There's also something very important, I think, tonally about our guest artists, which is that, you know, this, um, the cute, the cute looking uh, visuals. So my, my personal drawing style for dwellings, it's off putting to some people there, there are some comic readers that don't like stuff that looks like that. Um, they think it's going to be cutesy or they think it's going to be comedy. Um, and it's uh, it, the, the, the look itself might turn them off by having uh, established horror artists or people that have done, um, you know, a more adult work uh, in comics before lending a different look to the cover might be kind of a uh, uh, tacit approval of how adult that the, the material is inside i'm hoping anyway it i think it helped so uh, as we're as we're recording you're in the last week of a campaign to to fund the sixth and final volume uh of dwellings on on crowdfunder how is that going uh yeah thanks it's yeah i think um as of this recording it would be like we got four days left or something and um it's going great as usual so i do highly recommend um the the crowdfunding model uh, the print-on-demand model for um, for creators. It's it's been um, it's a lot of work doing doing the whole doing everything yourself. I mean, sure, there's less overhead. We don't warehouse or you know we self-distribute. We don't warehouse. We we print to order. Uh, all that stuff is helpful, but it does mean that Michelle and I have to do all of that ourselves. I mean, I I go over to his place in Toronto and we spend two days packing up books, but excuse me, the, the ease of it. So, and the, honestly too, Dwellings is a quirky project. And it, and again, because I wanted each story to feel slightly different, have a different tone. It took, it took some time. I, I'm not sure it could have worked uh, if I was on a, a monthly or even a bi-monthly schedule. I don't think it would have worked. Um, this stuff needed to kind of have room to, to, to breathe. So, yeah, that worked out great. And so the sixth issue has been um, on par with, uh, you know, our dedicated dwellers, our, 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 the people that have been with us since the beginning, the people that got the, got the gist of this strange project right from the beginning have been with us all along. We get a lot of the same names, a lot of return backers, um, very grateful to them. And, um, and so, you know, and, and, we made sure that they got really special um, perks. You know, there were some pretty cool stretch goals. So they got limited edition prints. The um, 
I know it's been hard to find some of the Oni variants, but with the with the Black Eye Books version, we did EC uh, EC cover variants, uh, ten, like not a one in ten, like ten. We did ten variant <laughs> covers, um, and raff and and uh, randomly raffled them to to ten backers. So those those are extremely rare <laughs> versions of dwellings. Um, and so again, with issue six coming up soon, somebody's some lucky 10 people are going to win that, those. Uh, so yeah, it's just fun. And it, what was so cool about it is it really did feel like Michelle and I returning to our, um, indie comics roots where you're, you know, you're really directly in touch with your audience. You know, it's, it's like a band playing small clubs and it, it just feels great. Uh, and this is this is the first time we've ever talked to anyone who's used crowdfunder um how is that platform compare uh because i know you'd used uh kickstarter for jetcat with black eye so how is how is crowdfunder different yeah so we started with kick uh kickstarter and that was that was doing we did really well i think just the first one maybe the first two but the first one and then um there was a bit as happens um as uh, technology shifts and changes and as uh, uh, popularity, the popularity radar shifts, there was some scandal about uh, Kickstarter for a minute there about them using blockchain. And um, it, you know, Michelle and I, so Black and I just thought, well, you know, it sounds like a lot of people are boycotting them. Um, this sounds like it could be a problem for us. Uh, for for the next for issue two or three whatever it was and he loves doing this stuff like this he found um you know crowdfunders canadian and um offered us the same mechanics and so we just we just went there pretty much straight away and uh absolutely no complaints i mean it certainly doesn't have the stumble upon visibility that that you know kickstarter has but um our numbers did not dramatically um, fall with the with the change. So, but that's up to that's up to whatever creators using these various uh, crowdsource uh, or, or crowdfunder sites is. You know, it's up to you to to, to keep your uh, project in the public's eye. It's it's tough to promote your own stuff. I mean, I don't really enjoy marketing. You know, it's a you know, I'd rather be drawing, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer. Um, I don't mind talking to you guys, but you know, I don't like to like have to post every day and say, buy my stuff. You know, it's, 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 it feels rude, but also, you know, if, if you think the project you're, you're, you're putting together deserves to be seen, then say so, you know. Man, I'm flashing back to that cardboard cutout of Jay Sherman going, buy my buy book, my book. Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yeah <laughs> i mean robert crumb used to sell underground comics from a from a baby carriage and the corner of hate Ashbury. like yeah sell your stuff man yeah absolutely so you you've made spotify playlists for each of the dwelling stories uh, how, have, how, yeah. how how much time went into to curating those I was, I was curious you know with like for example with the first one was it tough finding enough songs about birds that conveyed the tone of the story and worth <laughs> surfing bird by the trash men yes 
<laughs> oh, thank you for that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a bit of a music nerd too. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot of kinds of nerd. And I mean, I'll probably never get to, to direct a, a horror movie, but you know, um, I can pretend I'm Edgar Wright for like a minute here <laughs> and, and uh, put together a playlist for, for each of these stories. Um, and yeah, I love it. I actually, it's a fun, uh, and yeah, it took a little bit of time <laughs> to take some refinement. Also, I've noticed I have to keep going back and checking them because this hadn't occurred to me, uh, when I first put them together, but of course, some of the rights holders change their agreements or pull their songs mm -hmm. eventually. So there was one song, I think it was on the Ah hell, uh, playlist, which is the backup story about the devil and um stingy jack uh one of the songs just disappeared and i was like oh okay well they're all 13 tracks they have to be 13 songs <laughs> to, to find a replacement the thing is part of the theme that's part of the theme yeah <laughs> uh yeah no that's great and in fact um i usually post them near the end of the campaign so yeah the playlist for issue six will go up uh i think tomorrow oh, awesome so you've also worked in animation, as we talked about. You know, what 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 is one way your your forays in that field have have influenced or affected your your cartooning? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, well, for sure, spending spending a lot of time developing. So when I was a uh, underground cartoonist, or you know, to be perfectly honest with you, and I, I'd like to I'd like to know whether this is uncommon or common from other creators. I, I don't talk about it enough, but you know, um, I would get ideas and I would just run with them. So I didn't do a whole lot of character design before that character was appearing on the page. You know, um, same with the writing and the themes. You know, I was just running with it. And so there's an exuberance and an excitement to that to that way of working. And then you move to animation and it's it's you really need to have this stuff figured out. So you spend months, a year to redeveloping a concept and trying to get it so it really, really works. And so something uh, a little bit of um, a little more analysis. I somewhere in the middle would be perfect. I think with dwellings, I've had the right amount of time in, in my personal opinion. Um, I don't want to overthink something, but I, I but uh, the refinement process in animation um, changed the way um, I think about creating. And then also um, visually concepts uh so character design my character design Im improved it's something that i've always um been fascinated by uh and and i kind of already knew this th some of these ideas but generally all of the main characters in in dwellings have a different silhouette like if you if you'd line them up in just solid black you could tell which character was which and that's a you know that's a kind of a um pretty basic trick to and uh, you know uh i don't want to signal single out modern animation but there's a lot of prime time animation right now where all the character designs look exactly alike i mean it's it's just a different wig all the characters are exactly the same and um i'm not into that i like i like i like a little more variety in the visuals um so uh and then of course timing so um i think there are some instances in dwellings where you know there's 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 jump cuts so sometimes it, it cuts from one scene to the next day sometimes it cuts from one place to another but then other times it's a it's a 
transition of movement within kind of like the same frame kind of moving. And so there are definitely animated moments in, in dwellings. Like when, uh, when the main character they know is washing the blood off his hands in the early scene, that's kind of a little animated transition. We, we talked about nostalgia before. Have you had people come up to you and tell you that jet cat or secret Saturdays were part of their childhood and just, how much do you turn to dust when someone says that <laughs> it has <laughs> happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. I often forget how old that stuff is or, or Tuttenstein. Um, and uh, I get, um, it's so weird, you know, because I'm on Instagram pretty regularly and, you know, people can find me there and there are young people who have discovered dwellings and then they're liking some posts and then they go, oh, you're the you're the guy that that did Tuttenstein, but are you are you eighty? <laughs> like no, no, I'm not eighty. But um, it's flattering. It's nice to know that I've reached that point. Um, that something some things that I've created uh are are you know being um invoked. I mean, that's, it's quite an honor too. I mean, I do feel old, but I mean, I think that's, it's kind of awesome. I can't remember who my wife was talking to, but someone of the younger generation and they started talking about the late 1900s and it was like, oh, right. Because you weren't born before there were, you know, it was all yeah. 2000s and People could actually call them the late 1900s now. And uh. yeah, that's it's just actually I was um, doing some press for dwellings. And I was talking about the 50s, you know, kind of like as the beginning of this pop culture era, like we're Casper mm -hmm. and, and somebody I forget it. Somebody said, I don't. But it's but it's only the 20s. And I went, oh. Yeah, so now I have to say like mid-century, you know, so they get like mid-century, like last century, because we're we're almost mid-century now. It's 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 really fucking my brain up. <laughs> it 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 is, and then you think about how like for us the turn of the century was nineteen hundred, mm. and then you think about the D-list Marvel villain Turner D Century, who was obsessed with. 1900s <laughs> and how if you ever reboot that character they're going to be really into like trucker hats and low rise jeans say, and limp everybody will be yelling pull up your pants yeah <laughs> really afraid of y2k yeah and just yes. just the most amazing galaxy brain 911 conspiracy theories oh, <laughs> marvel if you're listening but anyway yeah quick pitch yeah, yeah uh we actually we did have somebody uh on twitter uh, asimov fangirl write in to say that she very much enjoyed secret saturdays so i thought that i would pass that along <laughs> amazing thank you yeah i'm i'm still pretty proud of that show i uh yeah that one actually i would say secret saturdays is probably the most common um entry point for somebody that's that's uh heard of me before yeah more more so than jet cat or tettenstein even which is great um, and interesting that, you know, sort of 
visual like if at first glance you would say oh secret saturdays doesn't really have look anything like dwellings i'm like yeah but it does have a mid-century modern kind of retro look and it's about monsters so i mean i guess i guess i have a thing <laughs> so another thing that you have a lot of is uh, you've done a lot of posters for the woolly pub in your hometown how does one become the official poster artist for what sounds like a pretty awesome bar? <laughs> it's a pretty awesome bar. Oh my God. Once they get wind of this, they're going to love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I've just, uh, it's, it's really up the street for me. It's literally my local uh, walkable, which is good if I, if I have one too many. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I just been, I've been going for years. My kids uh, when, when uh, before they grew up and, and blew away, um they used to come here come there as kids it's a it's a, a true pub where it's a, a restaurant during the day and then the kind of more mm -hmm. of a bar at night and so i've just i've just been there forever but more recently um i i didn't i didn't talk about what i did for a living at the bar because that seems weird and i just wanted to because i mean these are my neighbors it just didn't feel uh it felt uncomfortable and then somebody ratted me out so the minute the minute somebody said you know he he used to make tv shows you know he draws stuff as soon as he said that the, the general manager was like well why don't you do a poster for us and so then i got roped in but i mean that's a pretty decent um way to gauge whether you're still you can still draw so you know when you're, when you're doing comics or animation or something it, it's months or years before you get any feedback. You have no idea if anyone likes what you're doing. When you do a poster at the bar, they'll tell you they don't like it right away. <laughs> it's like you're doing stand-up comedy and bombing immediately. So yeah, when and when it works, it works. So it's been uh, it's been good for me creatively. Where where else should one visit uh, if one were to visit your hometown uh, and they were looking for a good uh, creepy quasi true story? Oh, that's great! Uh, it's closed right now, but there's uh, the oldest tavern in town was is called the Albion. It still exists. It's across from the the church downtown. It's haunted by the ghost of uh, they say uh, Al Capone's mistress. Um, we are pretty close. We are close enough to the border that, uh, and we have a long history of, um, distilling alcohol in this town. Um, and so th this was a bootlegging town. And, uh, so that's a great legend, but there's even cooler is on the outskirts of town to the sort of nor uh, Northeast end is an old prison that is apparently haunted, currently abandoned, uh, and being used for some, I think it was in the Teen Titans show. It gets used for film sets all the time. Oh. But it is, it is super fucking creepy. Yeah, that's the that's if you want to get really spooked, if you want to put put your like headlamp on and get your like uh, uh, EMP equipment to measure sound waves in infrared, go out there. That's a that's a great ghost hunting spot. So I un I understand that 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 Al Capone had an actual mistress, and I understand that there's history there, bootlegging and prohibition, all that. But I also like the idea of Al Capone doing that very American thing of making up a Canadian girlfriend. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's it's totally possible. It's also possible that uh, 
it's a case of mistaken identity. We had a we had a Hamilton-based gangster up here named Rocco Verri who looked a bit like Capone. It, it's a anyway, it's a good story. But a, apparently, some poor woman threw herself out the the windows on the second floor and still haunts the place. So, you know, okay. right now it's closed. We can't even we can't even uh, check it out over a drink. So do you have any uh, signings or conventions on the horizon? Nothing as of yet. No, no, okay. just uh, I'm, I'm quite busy uh, wrapping up issue six and then um, uh, jumping right into a, another new project, which, uh, which will be uh, announced, I think, I think in about a month. Um, so I'm going to have a busy winter uh, next year will be the, the the year that I, I get around and, and shake some hands. So looking forward to that. Nice. Penultimate question. What are you reading right now? Oh, um, I'm reading a book. I'm now I'm seeing I'm blanking on the author. It's called Wicked Boy. And it's a, a um true case of a of a child and his brother, but a child in England in the other turn of the century um <laughs> who uh in victorian england who um murdered his his own mom and then um hit her upstairs and continued to act as a it's, it's just the weirdest story of a, a psychopathic murderous child in victorian england that's that's my bedtime reading yeah <laughs> it's a good well uh, jay this has been a fantastic time final question as we release you back into the world how can people follow you online and keep up with dwellings and everything else that you got going on? Thanks. So the best place to start is my Instagram, because that's the social media that I visit every day. Um, and so that's J Stevens, um, just the letter J Stevens, S T E P H E N S comics um, at J Stevens comics. And um, there's a link tree there to the uh, to to my other stuff. I have a portfolio site, but um, the other thing I've been trying to work on and get better at is my YouTube site. There are some behind the scenes um, inspirations for each of the dwelling stories. Kind of like as we we're saying earlier, we touched upon um, particular genres inspiring particular stories. So those videos are there. Um, kind of how how I how I put together the artwork for the book, um, and. Uh, yeah, that's the best place to start. Well, Jay, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode, a $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A, and a shout-out at the end of every episode, a $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out, a $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, a $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Will Redmond, Tobias Carroll, 
Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, in the 1970s, Stan Lee reportedly used to maintain a collection of toupees that made it appear as if he was growing his hair out. Excelsior! W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.